On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Hera, and Hera was in a physically abusive relationship with an addiction-filled narcissist. It's a story of verbal abuse, victim playing, infidelity, fear of judgment, and the hope for change. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Hera. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well, and today we are going to hear your story. And you were in a relationship with a manipulative, physical, and verbal abuser and Unfortunately, you're here, but you are here to share your story and help a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here. And I just wanted to remind everyone that this episode has a lot of graphic language description of physical abuse. So if this is going to trigger you, please do not listen to this episode. And as well, everything that's usually at the beginning is now at the end, a little bit of a roundup of everything. So stay tuned and listen to that. And now, without further ado... Hera, the floor is now yours. Well, thank you, Brandon, for having me. Um, I will have to say that your podcast was actually the reason I was able to identify my narc as a narcissist um, before I hadn't really done a lot of research or seen what crazy making was love bombing all of that. And it was an eye opener to hear these other women's stories and just have those aha moments. Like, yes, exactly. That is exactly what I'm experiencing. I'm not crazy. So, um, thank you for that. And thank you for having me on here. Um, to start off, um, I'll give you a little background on my childhood um, life growing up um, was, I would say, dysfunctional. I am the youngest of three. Um, my brother is almost seven years older than me, and my sister is six and a half years older than me. Um, so I was the baby of the family by quite a bit. I never really experienced what loving parents, as far as a husband and wife, looked like. They were constantly fighting, and to be quite frank, they despised each other. And that definitely had a impact on how I viewed relationships and really what I looked for in, you know, friendships or partners. And um, So growing up, my mom worked nights so that she could essentially be a caretaker for us three kids during the day. Um, and funny enough, when I was little, I don't really have that many memories of my dad. Um, every chance he got, he would be running away to the lake to be with his mistress or girlfriend, whatever you want to call it. Um, my mom was aware of this, but for the sake of keeping a home or, you know, me and my siblings, 
she kind of just put up with it, you know. Um, I think that was almost worse than if they would have just separated earlier. Because my mom was, I could see she was miserable. Um, This led her to, you know, become an alcoholic. And that definitely had a huge effect on me. You know, being the youngest, I was left at home when my brother, he actually moved out when he was 17 um, and went into the military. Uh, He had also had a baby on the way at that time. So he went away to boot camp in California. I'm in the Midwest, by the way, my hometown. So he's away in California for boot camp for about six months. My sister had just moved to Colorado to be with her boyfriend. So I was essentially at home with, you know, these two parents that fought all the time, hated each other. It just led to me feeling very isolated and alone. Um, This is also where I developed kind of my people-pleasing skills. I saw how badly my mother struggled and just wanted to make her life easier or or try to fix the situation in any way I could, which obviously being, you know, seven, eight, you know, nine, that's not realistic for any child. And to kind of give a little bit more background into my childhood, my, before he went off to, my brother, before he went off to the military, he had a drug addiction. He was also a very destructive teenager, was a big bully to me and my sister. Um, That definitely aided my self-confidence and um, just really tore at our family. You know, my parents eventually put him to rehab. He was there for 30 days and, you know, and it worked for a little bit and then yeah, he got his girlfriend pregnant, and then he went off to boot camp, and that's really, the military is what really got his act together. My sister, around this time, she also, uh, she was struggling a lot. She suffered from depression and actually had some failed suicide attempts, and I have vivid memories from seeing my sister being dropped off at our front porch in the middle of the night, you know, my parents going to the door and they're unconscious and bring her up and, um, and trying to get her to, you know, regain consciousness. And it was, it was definitely traumatic for me to see, uh, you know, not really understanding what was happening, but just seeing my parents frightened and, you know, telling me to get out of the room and go to my room. And, you know, I was, concerned and scared and you know at that age I was just I I think I was trying to just preserve my innocence and it was hard to do that when there was all this chaos around me and I just constantly felt unsafe in my home so that was definitely that was definitely a really hard time in my life I also um, struggled with some health issues um, I was in and out of the hospital getting tests, um, never really found out what was going on, but that was a big part of my childhood, uh, missing school, you know, missing out on making friends and, you know, 
those social interactions and you know in grade school you would have pizza parties and all that stuff and you know and for that age it was really hard for me to miss that and this is a, a time I really I don't remember my dad being around it was always my mom taking me to the hospital you know get the test taking care of me so there's just there's a lot of gaps where you know I'm not sure where my dad is or what he's doing so fast forward a little bit um to my freshman year of high school my parents had held on long enough and decided to get a divorce at this point um my brother was still in the military and my sister was still in Colorado so being home alone in that family dynamic seeing them just hate each other my parents hate each other and going through this divorce I felt very stuck in the middle you know I remember the day my dad moved out and it's not like I've never ever never seen them in love with each other so it wasn't a huge difference but it just hit me hard so after high school I got into an amazing university it was the university of my dreams this was about 2012 and I decided to move away and live on campus full time at in college this is where I met my first boyfriend we will call him Caleb um Caleb was pretty much the epitome of a golden child he was intelligent he was getting his degree in biomedical engineering uh he essentially fast-tracked through you know his undergrad and was already starting his master's before I even completed my undergrad he was funny uh attractive tall just hit all the boxes I mean sweet supportive he was amazing he helped me through one of the hardest times in my life so my sophomore year of college I fell into a deep depression also developed an anxiety disorder along with it it got so bad to a point that I actually had to drop out of the semester of school because I was unable to leave my house or just really function as a student yet alone an adult Caleb was there for me every step of the way you know holding me at night crying um, when I finally started therapy he would come with me drive me to my appointments and sit in the waiting room until my appointments were over and then drive me back and just didn't he, he didn't fully understand you know what depression or anxiety was but you know to the best of his ability he just was supportive and we dated for about four years um, until my sophomore I'm sorry my junior year of college I had found out that he had been um, I would call it emotionally cheating on me I never found out about any physical cheating but essentially in the middle of the night I woke up and just I don't know I had this innate feeling that something was wrong uh, so I decided to check his phone 
while he was sleeping and found just a ton of text from this girl that we were mutual friends with and saying things like, you know, I miss you. Um, I wish you were here. Can you come over early for the parties and hang out? You know, things like that that you wouldn't say to just a friend. Um, and that was heartbreaking to me. This was essentially my first boyfriend. We've been through so much together. And to see that, you know, he could say things to another girl that, you know, he should only exclusively be saying to me. Um, I obviously, I can be a bit of a hothead, so I woke him up and I just said, you know, what, what the fuck is this? So he woke up and he was just a, a doe in headlights, you know, I can't believe you found it essentially, you know, so... I kicked him out, and from then on, our relationship was shaky. You know, we continued to date for about two more years after that. Um, my senior year, after I had graduated. Oh, I have, I, have, yeah. I have one question. I guess, you know, things were shaky at that point. How did that get resolved? I would say it never truly got resolved. Um, he was a very emotional individual. He would call me, you know, in the middle of the night and say, I'm going to kill myself. If you don't take me back, please, I'll never do it again. It was terrible. You know, he told me he wanted to marry me and had even bought a ring at one point. And it, it all just became too much for me. It was that the trust wasn't there anymore. You know, and the reason that we continued to date for two more years I think is solely because I felt bad, which sounds terrible, but I felt like I owed him for everything he did for me. I owed him, you know, a chance, a second chance. You know, he was this great guy. He can be this great guy again. You know, maybe we can put this in the past and, you know, move on and try to have the relationship we had, you know, the fun, the just amazing relationship. And how um, old are you both here? I would have been about 20, 22, 23. Okay. So you're 22, 23. He's 22, 23. You were raised in a chaotic environment where there was absenteeism, neglect, addiction, you became a people pleaser. You developed within that time because earlier you said you developed it when you were, uh, you know, in a teenager in university, you developed anxiety. It was formed early on, a long time ago. And you have all of those things. Uh, now you're here in this relationship you know, it's your technically kind of your first relationship here. It's a very serious relationship. It's a long time and you're both very young. It's confusing probably that he's been so good to you in this way. And then the emotional stuff, you think, you know, could have broken off there. This is your first serious relationship. You don't know what to do. You're, you're trying to figure things out. Nothing's going to be clean here. Uh, is Caleb the worst person in the world? Um, maybe not, you know, the way he's dealing with things at this age, 
It's possible that he might figure things out that that was wrong. You know, as time goes on and there's newer relationships, you guys are both kind of young. You know, obviously, he uses uh, suicide as a way to to reel you back and make you feel guilty, which is unhealthy and toxic. Uh, but within the context, you know, of your relationship, um, you know, as things kind of go on, you guys aren't a good match. Would that be fair to say? At this point, like you don't like, you don't love him. He doesn't maybe love you and you're staying in it much longer than you should. Yes, definitely. It was just a matter of, we had been together for so long. You know, at this point it had been four years we had been dating and it just seemed, I guess, I don't know what the word is, but appropriate to continue and at least try to make this work. Um, that became even more difficult when, you know, I graduated uh, for college and I moved back to my hometown, um, which was about an hour and a half away. He decided to stay in uh, our college town. Um, and he actually got a very good job with a huge come out there. So he bought a house, stayed out there. And for, you know, about a year, we did the kind of long distance relationship, uh, driving back and forth, switching off, you know, weekends. Um, and eventually, you know, doing that for about a year, it just, it wasn't working. We didn't have anything to talk about anymore. We, I think our interests had just shifted. You know, he was very focused on his career. He was ready to get married and have kids right then. You know, and this is when we were probably 24 at this point. And I was still figuring out what I'm going to do with my life. You know, with my degrees, what do I want to do career-wise? You know, I felt like... A lot of my college experience, you know, I was with this one guy and I hadn't dated, you know, or seen what else is out there. And um, So as far as you go as an individual, you know, I'm not sure what other issues you have. I'm sure you have self-worth issues uh, on top of other things that I've already mentioned. At this point of your life, do you know who you are, what you actually want, what your values are or anything along those lines? No, I would say at this point, I am trying to figure those out. You know, after breaking up with Caleb and eventually, you know, it ending, I really had to try to find what my passion was, um, find my values, find what I was looking for in a partner, um, you know, all of these things. And it was a really difficult time for me. Um, and, and, you know, you grew up with no support. And, well, no family support. Do you have friend support or anything like that? I do. And, you know, throughout college, I didn't really mention this. I did have, um, you know, a good group of friends that were great. Um, you know, I would say one of my biggest regrets is that I never talked to them about, you know, things that were really affecting me, especially when I was going through the depression and anxiety you know, I, I tend to kind of like close in on myself 
because I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. I don't want to be that person in the group that is always negative or has this issue or has this, you know. So I tend to keep it quiet. Uh, and you'll see that a lot more as I get into my relationship with my narc. So it's not that you feel that people will be truly judgmental towards you. You just don't, you know, you don't want to be the Debbie Downer, if that makes sense. You don't want to bring others down. Yes. At this point, yes, I would definitely say that is true. So I guess, you know, eventually you break up with your boyfriend and then what's kind of going on with you as far as did you intend to get into a relationship with the person the story is about to be about or did this come by surprise? I mean, meaning were you looking for uh, a boyfriend at the time or were you trying to kind of figure things out and then, you know, boom, this person showed up? Yeah, so I would definitely say I was not looking for a relationship. I was still getting over, you know, my relationship with Caleb. I'd also just had moved back and was living with my mom. And I had started a job as a manager at a retail store, um, which I, I wasn't really happy at. So, you know, that kind of tied into me trying to figure myself out and, Through this transition of, you know, ending it with Caleb, you know, moving back home, moving back to my hometown with my mom, um, I met my narc through um, my best friend. She was friends with him and was actually dating his best friend at the time. Um, We had just met at a bar that... She worked at um, one night, and immediately we hit it off. Um, I thought he was very attractive. He also had this kind of bad boy image about him. He was just saying all the right things. He was fun. He was adventurous. Um, You know, he complimented me. You know, it was hooking me in. You know, and at first I was apprehensive. Uh, He would text me every single day, um, try to call me, you know, hey, I'm up at the bar, come up, Um, let's hang out, I'll buy you a drink, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it was just, it was constant. Um, You know, and I fell into it. I was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And, you know, we never really went on an official date. Now that I think about it, he never really asked me, like, let me take you out to eat or something. It was always, you know, he'd get off work um, and we would meet up at a bar and have drinks or, you know, um, we would go to, I don't know, go bowling with a group of friends or something. Um, But immediately, you know, just from the very start, it was, he made me laugh harder than anyone. He we just had so much in common and it just felt like, Oh my God, he's amazing. Um, so you were coming from a relationship where at first things were great. Things all seemed perfect. And as time went on there, you grew apart and things became 
boring in the sense of you guys just had nothing to talk about anymore. And now you meet this person and this person is exciting. This person is paying attention to you. You have lots of stuff in common, but something is always going on. There's no little moment that nothing is not happening. There's action. And you're used to chaos when you're a kid and a lot of stuff going on. So if there are red flags that are going to be popping up here, you're not going to be seeing them because there's just action continuously kind of going on. And, uh, you know, you guys are going to the bar all the time and things like that. So you guys are living a faster lifestyle here. And for you at this moment, you're, you bought in pretty quick on this and you're feeling him, he's feeling you and you're just going with it. Yes, totally agree when you say that, um, because my narc, he was unpredictable and I love that. I remember one night, you know, we went to uh, this casino and they have this event, it's called Boogie Nights, where you just go and you dance in this club. Um, and we went like on a whim late one night and made out in the elevator and then went and just danced with each other. And it was, I mean, it was so fun. It was just spontaneous and unpredictable. And, and I, I just felt like it was just fun and that was it. That's all I needed. Um, you know, within the first six months of us dating, we would see each other every single day. Um, he was still living with his parents. He was finishing his last semester at school. Um, you know, and I was living with my mom. So we would essentially, uh, stay at each other's houses, you know, every night. Um, I got to know his family. I loved them. He got to know mine. So I would say it progressed very quickly. I want to say within the first three months of us dating, he told me he loved me. Um, and that, it was very quick. Uh, you know, I don't think I said it back for another, you know, three or so months. But I loved hearing it and I wanted to hear it. And it was at this point that when I was away from him, you know, it almost felt like, an addiction. Like, I can't wait to go see. I can't wait to go spend time with him. Even if it was just us laying in his bed watching, you know, Family Guy or a documentary or whatever. It was just comfortable and fun. And yeah, he just showered me with compliments. I loved that. I loved the attention, you know, to be quite honest. And And, and during this time when you guys are just kind of on the go, 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 are there any moments where, you know, because, you, you know, you're trying to be also a responsible adult. Are there any moments where you're saying, oh, I can't go out tonight. I can't do this or I can't do that. And he eggs you on to do anything or, or to be like, hey, no, come on, come on. And then you kind of go against what you wanted to do at all or no? Oh, definitely. Um, a lot of times with my job, you know, I would work at... 6 a.m. And the night before he would text me constantly be like, come on, just come out for like one beer. 
you know, and then you can go. And, you know, and there were times I was like, okay, I'll come out, you know, and it, it was never just one beer. You're like, okay, you know, one more, um, you know, and I would also like to mention that he liked his drugs, um, you know, which should have been a red flag for me. Um, but, you know, I chalked it up to he's young, he's just having fun, you know, this is something that, you know, he's not keep doing when, you know, he gets out of college and gets a career. Um, because at the time, you know, he was, while he was finishing the semester at school, he was working at a detail shop. So he would detail cars and the environment he was in, all of his coworkers and even his boss at the detail shop did drugs, specifically Coke. Um, and this was an everyday, every night occurrence. Um, so that should have been a big red flag immediately to me. But like I said, I just chalked it up to he's having fun. He's young. You know, I did it with him a couple of times. It was, you know, I get it. It's fun. Um, so the reason why I asked the question about you saying, hey, I need to stay in. I have this to do. I have this to do. And then him saying, no, no, no. You know, if he's doing that a lot for everyone who's who's listening, that's a subtle little thing right there that's being done. And it is a boundary. You set a boundary and then, you know, chalk it up to once or twice or three times it happens, whatever. But if he's constantly or your partner is constantly saying to do that and you're constantly uh, not being heard, even though it doesn't seem like your boundary is being broken because a lot of people don't think of it as that way. But right there is this little tiny thing where you said what you needed to do and they didn't hear you. And, you know, uh, I just trying to point it out to everyone who's, who's listening because it's, it's a very subtle one. They don't notice and no one really ever does. And I just want you to kind of have that in your head that there's a little thing that in the future, if this happens, that's a little thing for you to pay attention to. Yes. Thank you. Um, boundaries were definitely not respected. Um, and at the time I didn't see it, you know, during all of the love bombing, it just kind of felt like a fun fairy tale, you know? So I didn't really sit down and look at what was really going on. And as far as his drug use, um, and yeah, the boundaries just not being respected. Um, so, um, and another side note, I should definitely amend this is, um, pretty important. Um, you know, shortly into our relationship, he told me that, you know, his father, his biological father was physically and verbally abusive to his mother, um, at a very young age him and his parents lived in Florida, I believe. And, you know, at one point he saw his father throw his mother down the stairs. Um, you know, and that is really the only memory he could tell me. Um, other than that, you know, he told me he stayed in touch with him, you know, like birthdays, he would get birthday cards or, you know, and then once he turned 18, it, kind of just stopped. Um, at one point, 
you know, I had talked to his mother about it to get a little bit more information, you know, his biological father and, you know, what had happened. Um, because when it did happen, you know, my narc was very young. He's about three or four years old. Um, so he didn't have a lot of memory of it. And, you know, his mother told me that he was just a terrible person, was physically and verbally abusive to her and also, you know, to my narc. He was young at times. Once they, uh, you know, his mother moved, um, she met, you know, her current husband. Uh, now my narc's stepdad, he has adopted my nan, raised him at a very young age. Um, and he is amazing. He is, you know, a great man. He's, you know, really what, you know, my narc needed um, as a father. He's strong um, and really put, you know, his son into place because, you know, growing up, my narc was kind of a destructive, uh, rebellious um, child. You know, he had been spoiled by his mother and, you know, going into his teenage years, that definitely showed. So, so when you found out everything about this part of his life, that also, I guess, then fed into, you know, maybe future excuses um, as far as, you know, he's, he's a victim of something and it makes you feel bad for him. It gets you sucked more into this whole part of the love bombing stage where you're kind of really hook, line, and sinker. Like this guy's been through something. You know, it's an excuse for the drugs maybe. You're also having a good time. You know, he is working and all of those things. So things – it's not like his life has deteriorated to a point where all these other things are – making it seem like he's a non-functional person or not able to handle anything. But he has this excitement going on about him. He's this charming person. He's really into you. Uh, he's exciting. There's chaos, which is also attractive to you. And now this victim kind of playing aspect, which hasn't fully played out possibly yet, but it's kind of inserted into the story to um, hook you in and all of it together it has you hooked completely. Yes, definitely. And it will definitely come up later, you know, as we go through, you know, our relationship together, it definitely becomes almost like an excuse or, you know, feel sorry for me because I went through this and I, you know, have trauma from it. And so you will see that reoccurring kind of pattern. Um, so moving on, um, after about only six months of us dating, um, you know, he had just graduated um, and was done with his degree, and he got a job offer in Kansas City. Um, at this point, you know, I was unhappy at my current job, um, so he asked me if I would want to Kansas City with him and get a place together. Um, of course, I jumped at the idea. I was like, yes, definitely let's go. So we found a loft in downtown Kansas City. And, you know, he started his job. Um, and at this point, I was unemployed. Um, you know, my thought process was, you know, I'll find a job pretty quickly once I get there. And, you know, it'll be great. You know, and 
he had also told me like, I will support us, you know, while you look for a job and it'll all be okay. Um, so that ended up not really being the case. Um, I ended up being unemployed for about four months. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, I didn't have a lot of workplace experience. Um, you know, and a lot of the companies or positions I was trying to get into, you know, wanted years and years of experience, which I just did not have. Um, you know, so at this point, during these four months, you know, living in our loft, I was still paying my half of the rent and also my half of utilities, which I could not afford either. Um, you know, and when my neck told me, you know, I'll help support us, it just, it didn't happen. Uh, you know, and this is kind of when devaluing really started. So during that time, you know, it was, it was very lonely. We were in a new city. Um, you know, I didn't know anyone. I was at home all day, essentially just applying for jobs, interviewing, um, you know, while he was starting this career and meeting all these, you know, coworkers and friends. And I felt very left behind. Eventually I did get a job, um, Shortly after this is, I think, when we had um, our first big, like, blowout fight. Uh, this is where I truly saw what a narcissist does. Um, so, you know, we were in this tiny loft. It was about, I don't know, a little under 500 square feet. You know, but it was beautiful. It was brick and had tall ceilings and, you know... I had decorated it to make it a home um, and just made it cozy and warm, and you know, and he loved that. You know, I loved that. I was happy to make it a home for us. Um, so one night went out to a bar with some friends. Um, you know, I was inside just, you know, with friends talking. You know, we had just met them a couple days prior and they invited us out. So while we're in the bar, um, I see the security or bouncer, I'm not sure who it was, outside. And he comes in. He goes, hey, whoever brought this guy needs to take him. He is belligerent and he's fighting people. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and I look around and I don't see my boyfriend, you know. So I go outside and he's standing there with two black eyes just screaming and immediately, I just, I I was in shock. I was like, what is going on? You know, what happened? And I remember this one girl came up to me in the bar and she goes, honey, I have dated guys like that before. You need to leave him now. This will not get better. And at the time, I was just, you know, I shook it off. I was like, okay, I don't know what happened. You know, I'm just going to get us an Uber and we're going to go. So I got us an Uber, you know, he gets in, I get in, and the entire ride, he is just belittling me and blaming me, like, what the fuck did you do to me, being a fucking whore, you know, so I got into a fight, and then I got punched, this is your fucking fault, you know, just the entire time, and I am just sitting there, like, what did I do, what is happening right now, and so we get up to our apartment, 
and he immediately goes into a rage. And I remember looking at him and just saying his name and what are you doing? Look, look at me, look at me and tell me what is wrong. And he just wasn't there. It was the most obscure feeling and moment. And I just couldn't get through to him. It was like he wasn't there. Immediately, he starts throwing everything in our apartment. He picks up the bar stools and smashes them against the walls. He picks up plates, um, paintings. I mean, anything he could get his hands on. Um, you know, I pick up my phone. I'm looking for my phone. I'm just sitting on the floor crying, you know, telling him to stop. Oh, and he starts throwing things at So I immediately, I, I pick up my phone and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to call the police. You need to stop. And at this point, he takes my phone and he smashes it. He just crushes it. So this is where kind of my fight or flight mode came in. You know, I try to pick up my phone to see if it's even, you know, if I can even make a call or a text or something. Um, and of course, it's it shattered. There's it's gone. So I start going to our door and he comes after me and he puts his hand around my neck and pushes me up against the wall. And he goes, if you call the cops or if you live, I will fucking kill you. And I just, I broke down and just slid down onto the floor. I'm sorry. And at that point I grabbed my iPad um, he went to go turn on music, just blaring music. Um, I go into our bathroom and I lock myself in there and I'm able to call 911 from my iPad. I called them and I told them I, that I needed police here immediately that my boyfriend was being drunk and aggressive, um, and I needed help. Um, they, you know, asked for my address and I gave it and they said, is there a door code to get into the building? And it's like, yes. I was like, but I don't know it. So the way our building worked, you had to get, you had to use a key to even get into the building. Um, but there was also a keypad and there were codes that like the cleaning people would have a code or, um, you know, the leasing office would have a code to get into um, the building. Um, so they were asking me, and I said, yes, there's a code, but I don't know it. You know, residents aren't allowed to know it because um, otherwise anyone could get in without a key if you didn't live there. Um, so I told them I would call them back. Um, so I hung up the phone and I texted one of our mutual friends, of me and my boyfriends, he had previously worked in the building we lived in um, as maintenance. So I knew he knew the code. I called him and, you know, I told him this, and I'm like, I, I just need help. I'm like, I need to know the code. So please can come. And he told me, he goes, do not call the police. Do not have them come here. He will go to jail. And at that point, I, I listened it's like, okay, you know, I didn't want him to go to jail, even though 
I was literally scared of my life. I was more worried about him, you know, my boyfriend and his well-being and not wanting to ruin his life or career that he has just started. So, you know, I hung up the phone. I called 911 back and I just said, no, I tried to calm myself. You know, I'm sobbing this entire time and my narc is just pounding on the bathroom door the entire time. Um, you know, and I called him back and, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said and they're like, okay, are you sure? Okay. And I'm like, yes, yes. He, he went to bed. It's okay. Thank you. And I just hung up. Um, and you know, I slept in the bathroom on the bathroom floor that night, um, and just cried and listened to him blare music till, you know, 4am morning until he finally passed out in the bedroom. Um, you know, most people at this point would say, right, and that's it. You left. You were like, F this. You're crazy. Um, but no, I got up. I cleaned up the apartment. Um, took me like four hours, you know, and he, he finally woke up maybe about two o'clock in the afternoon. And he went to the bathroom and he looked and goes, what the fuck happened? And I was like, are you serious? And I sat down and I told him and he burst into tears and he's like, I'm so sorry. And, you know, it, it was so genuine. And he's like, I would never try to hurt you. You know, I love you. You know, I'll never do this again. You know, we moved on from there. It was, you know, after that, I would say the following months were back to, you know, the amazing person I met. For the first six months, you know, of our relationship, he showered me with compliments and he would go out to dinner and it was just amazing again. It was kind of like it, it never happened. Um, probably about a month after that happened, I had actually lost my job um, due to the company restructure. Um, there was a multitude of things. So I was now unemployed again applying for jobs, um, you know, trying to get back out there, um, you know, and it, it just felt at this point, you know, I, I was starting to kind of feel almost a little bit sorry for myself. Like I can't seem to, you know, keep any consistency in my life, you know, as far as jobs or, you know, relationships, because that big incident had just happened. So are you blaming yourself uh, at that time? Are you still kind of wondering, was I wrong? Was I right? Yes. I. Um, what really happened? Exactly. I looked inward. What did I do, you know, to make him act like that? Or, yes, it just felt everything was slowly eating away at my confidence. Um, so going into 2009, um, you know, I started a new job an investment management firm, um, and absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I got to eventually move up the ladder into, you know, one of kind of a dream position. Um, and, you know, at this point I had made, you know, a ton of friends in my apartment building. I was friends with my coworkers. I loved my work. I loved everything I was doing. Um, you know, and, 
me and, you know, my boyfriend, we were, we were doing well, you know, it was, there weren't any major incidents or blowouts, you know, it was going well. Um, Are you being devalued in any way during this time or things have kind of gone back to normal? So things have kind of gone back to normal. Um, I would say the devaluing um, starts again um, heavily in 2019. Um, With this new position, um, you know, I was working a lot of hours. Um, I would leave at, you know, seven in the morning and I probably wouldn't home until seven or eight at night. Um, And he started to accuse me of cheating. Um, He would say things like, oh, you fucking your boss or, and it always threw me back because I never gave him a reason to ever even think of that I was cheating or doing anything behind his back. Um, you know, and slowly the insults and the devaluing started coming in and they would start off small, like you're stupid or you're a bitch, you know, or one time we were out at a party and it was my friend's birthday party. And, um, we were at a bar and, you know, the beginning of the night, he was like, you look beautiful. I love you so much. Like all of these things. And at one point we're standing on a table, you know, with everyone. And he whispers in my ear, quit being a fucking whore. And I, my face just went blank and I smiled because everyone was looking at us, you know? And I just had to act like he just said something so sweet in my ear. So it was at that moment, you know, where I almost made it okay for him to continue to devalue me and get away with saying little things like that. Because, you know, after he whispered that in my ear, I just pretended like nothing happened. You know, even though inside I was holding back tears and just, why would he say that? why would you say that to some new love, you know? And what was I doing? Was I talking to someone wrong? Was I, you know, I started going over everything in my head. What am I doing? Is it me? So essentially that um, became more of a regular occurrence and more of me writing it off. Like he's stressed, he's having a bad day. He's just taking it out on me because he loves me. And at that point... You know, my friends started to notice how he treated me in public. Um, You know, when we would be at, you know, our pool, our building had a pool and we would all go and just drink and swim. They would notice just little cues and things he would say to me, you know, and I would just shrug them off because I didn't want to, I never wanted to look like a victim or, you know, poor girl, like she's in this terrible relationship, you know, because at this point people started telling me, you know, like, did you know he did this, you know, talking about my boyfriend, you know, and he said this and, you know, he went and did cope with so-and-so the other night. And, um, 
you know, so there was a lot of lies and that I didn't know about. There was a lot of things he wasn't telling me that were hidden. You know, I thought we had mutual respect for each other to be open and honest. And, you know, if you're doing drugs or going out and, you know, doing something you shouldn't be doing, you know, I want you to be able to talk to me. You can figure this out. Like, but instead it was hearing it from other people, um, you know, and that really broke me. Was he hanging out with other women as well that you didn't know? So at this point, I am not sure. Um, our friend group started to kind of divide and his friend group were, you know, single, a group of single guys who like to drink, um, do Coke every weekend, go golfing, you know, and I started seeing a lot more drug use, you know, and him coming home at 1am, 2am. It got to a point where when he would go out, I would be so scared when he would come home because it started to become a trend that he would go out all night, he'd be doing coke and he'd come back and he would blare music in our apartment and sit there and tell me just the most awful things, you know, that I will never be successful and I am nothing without him. He would say things, you know, I have this much money in my bank account and, you know, how much do you have? It was just he pinpointed every one of my insecurities, you know, things that we had talked about. And I had told him like, hey, I'm worried about money a little bit, you know. And, you know, at night when he come home, obviously out of his mind, it was that guy I saw that night that I called 911 and slept in the bathroom. And it started to become so frequent that, you know, I started staying in hotels. You know, there were a couple nights I slept in my car. Um, you know, and at this point, I was also, I became isolated almost. Um, you know, I wasn't telling anyone that this abuse was going on. I think for fear that I would be judged, also that people would look at me as a victim, which is something I never wanted. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me, um, even though I know they already were. You know, some of my close friends knew a little bit about what was going on, just the verbal abuse. No one knew about the physical abuse, but... You know, there were nights when he would come home and he would start, you know, throwing things at me. I don't, one of his go-tos was, you know, I would be in bed and the bedroom would be locked. He'd be coming home late at night, um, you know, and he would throw things. So the way our loft worked, the bedroom wasn't, it didn't have a full wall. So even though I closed the door, there was still a portion of the wall that didn't go all the way up to the ceilings were like these wood beams. I don't know if that makes sense. So he would just throw things and he would take cups of water and throw them on me, you know, knowing where the bed was and knowing that I was laying and, and I would just sit there and cry and 
you know, I was scared. He'd pound on the door and, you know, to the point where holes all over our door in our walls. And, and this is kind of the point when, um, you know, I started seeing, um, some cheating coming in. So with his job, he was in sales. So he would travel quite a bit, you know, whenever he would travel, he would call me and, you know, I'm at this hotel, we would FaceTime, you know, cause it could be sometimes for a week, sometimes it would like two days, you know, when he would come back, I would notice he was very, very odd. Um, he would, you know, at first come back and the love bombing would come back. It would be, I missed you so much. I'm so happy to be home. You know, it was, I'm so excited to sleep next to you. And then it would kind of, he would go blank, you know, and he would keep his phone by him constantly. Um, and he, anytime I was like, Hey, can I use your phone for, you know, mindstead? I need to look something up. And he's like, no, you know, and that was very much a red flag. Like, what is he doing? So actually one night I, I did for his phone and the things I found, there were messages to girls, um, he would travel, he'd meet girls like in the airport, you know, and it took me a lot of courage to take it to him and be like, what is this? What, why are you doing? We lived together, you know, at this point we had been dating for three years, three and a half years. You know, we talked about marriage, kids, you know, and it was at first, I'm insecure. I don't know. I'm so sorry. You know, none of it was real. I didn't do anything. It was just talk. And, you know, he would start crying and immediately I would almost make it okay. You know, he would bring up, I just, I want acceptance. You know, I never got it as a child. And, you know, so I don't know how to just be confident with myself without getting it from other people. And, you know, just like that, it's like, I forgot it. You know, in any time, there was no bringing up any of that ever again. Anytime I would bring it up, you know, it was like he would come at me with, why are you bringing that up again? You so fucking insecure that you just, you're trying to find something to be mad at me for, you know, just let it go. You know, you shouldn't have been looking at my phone in the first place and you don't trust me. And, and it was just this constant crazy making. I would, in the middle of trying to have a conversation with him, and he would say something to me that just, it didn't make sense. And, you know, I didn't know what to say back. And at the time, I thought it was me, you know, going through my head, trying to make the, the argument or we just had. And I, I couldn't, I, you know, didn't have a word for it at that time. Um, so one of the other times we had gone back to our hometown for Christmas and we were doing, we were separating it. We were going to do Christmas day with my family and then Christmas Eve with his family. So, you know, we were having Christmas uh, Eve, we did presents, dinner. Um, so after that, me and my narc decided to go to one of the little like bars. So on our way there, you know, we stop at a gas station and he gets some pocket shots, which are just little, like people call them airplane shots, just little things of alcohol. And immediately out of nowhere, he just starts 
shooting insults at me. Um, you know, he just starts off with, all I ask you to do is, you know, just do your part, you know, suck my dick from time to time and, you know, just the most awful things you can think of. And I look at him and I just go, where is this coming from? Why are you ruining this night? You know, and he just turns it back on me and he goes, you fucking ruined it. You ruined it the day you came into my life. And just goes on and on. And at this point, I just go numb. I just sit there and just listen. And I know there's nothing I can say back. I Eventually, I just go, let me out of the car. Let me out. And so, as he's screaming at me, you know, he starts to get more violent. You know, he's been drinking. He's driving us down this, you know, dark road. And I'm scared. I'm, I just want out. You know, so I'm screaming, let me out. Let me out right now. And I kicked so hard that I smashed in his windshield from the inside and put a huge just crack all the way across it. So he just immediately stops the car, takes me by my arm, gets out of the car, takes me by my arm pulls my arm and just drags me out and shoves me onto the pavement and then drives away. I have no idea where I am. I'm just crying. I'm just, I'm embarrassed. I walk down the road a little bit and there's some houses, but I know this sounds crazy. I was too embarrassed to go up to someone's house on Christmas Eve and just ask them, can you help me? Like, you know, can you at least just tell me where I am? You know, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. You know, so I tried to find an Uber on my phone. I'm in the middle of, I don't know where, I have no idea where I am. Um, There are no Ubers out, so I call his mom. She comes and picks me up, and she just looked at me, and she's like, what happened? And I just start crying, and it was one of the worst nights, and It was one of the nights that was really the downfall um, of our relationship. You know, there had been times that he had left me on the side of the road before, you know, back in Kansas City, but I knew where I was. Um, So this, this time was different, and 
anyways, from there on, um, going into 2020, um, you know, getting to kind of the end of our relationship, um, you know, the pandemic hit. So we had a, my company, um, and I think most companies had a work from home mandate. So I started working from home. Um, you know, my boyfriend, he was also working from home. Um, and things were okay, I would say. We were civil with each other. We were roommates. Um, and, you know, and, and just like the incident that you mentioned before, when those things happened, you know, things would get smoothed over uh, along the lines of more of, I don't remember what happened kind of stuff. Yes, it became my fault. I actually ended up apologizing for kicking his window and then I got it repaired. Mm -hmm. I paid for it. I took his car and paid for it. And I apologized. I mean, and I should note, yes, I tried everything to try to get him to see what he was doing, how he was acting. I started recording him when he would go off on these tangents of just berating me and, you know, calling me every name in the book. Um, and I'd send them to him. And he would turn it back on me and be like, why the fuck would you send me this? Like, get over yourself. All right. Like, it just didn't matter. You know, I found him a therapist that I felt like he would really be able to talk to. Instead, he talked to the therapist and told him things that he only wanted him to know and how he wanted to be seen. I was like, you need to figure this out. You know, and it's, he didn't want to hear it. He just didn't accept it. Um, so every day kind of just really got worse and worse. It became every single night a huge fight over anything and everything. You know, he would go after my family, um, your family's a piece of shit. Like, they don't even like you. You don't even love yourself. How can someone else love yourself? So 2020 was probably the worst year for me. My company decided to close down. So that was a really, really hard time for me. Work had kind of become a safe place where, you know, my boyfriend wasn't there. And, and I had a purpose. I felt like myself. And that was ending. And I decided I needed to move out. I think one of the last nights was one of the worst fights we ever had. So one night I was returning home from doing one of my side gigs, photographing weddings. And it was a very long day. So I, I get home, um, find out I'm locked out of the apartment. You know, he knew I had been you know, shooting this wedding all day. I was exhausted. I told him to leave the door open. I wouldn't have my keys. And he just kept saying, you need to walk your ass down here and get the key. I'm not doing it for you. I can't do everything for you. Obviously drunk. So finally, 
you know, I call the leasing manager. I had her number and she gets me a spare key. I tell her the situation and I should probably note that my, the leasing manager of the building, she knew of the situation because I had talked to her. Um, there had been noise complaints quite a few of them. So she was very aware of who I was, who my boyfriend was, and our situation. Um, so just to add that in there, um, you know, so I told her the situation and she came in and she got me a key. Um, and I get up to the apartment, you know, I'm just kind of cooling down, you know, relaxing, from a long day and he he comes home very drunk immediately you know puts drugs out on the table and starts doing them you know turns on music blaring it and I just go hey can you just I'm I want to go to bed I am exhausted can you please not tonight or go back over to you know, your buddy's house. And he's like, <laughs> he acted like he didn't hear me and just told me, you know, get the fuck out. This is my apartment. Get out. He proceeded to then walk towards me and puts his hands around my neck and puts me up against the wall. And says, I will kill you if you don't leave my fucking apartment. And I look at him and I just go, do it. And it seemed like forever he just stared at me. And then he lets go. And he goes back to go do his drugs. And I start to run to the bathroom. Because I'm shaking. I can't. I can't do anything right now, it feels like. It, it feels like I'm just frozen. So I start running to the bathroom, and he comes after me. So I pick up his laptop that's right next to me, and I go, if you come near me, I will smash this. And he goes, he just eggs me on and tells me, do it. I dare you, do it, and see what happens. So I put it down because I'm scared out of my mind he comes up to me and he just picks up this it's one of those yeti cups that's uh it's metal and it's insulated one of those i'm not really sure what they're called um but he just swipes me across the face with it and i fall to the ground and just start bawling my eyes out and I look up at him and blood is just running out of my nose down my face and I go look at what you you're doing and I said you're your dad you are the exact person you never wanted to be and I just ran into the bathroom and locked myself in there and I think that was the longest night of my life of him just pounding on the door, telling me everything that he thinks is wrong with me, 
So after that incident, um, and it ended up being... Well, just to go back there for, for one second, you know, you're in the bathroom. He's um, hit you and you're bleeding and you're in there. He's done a lot of cocaine. He's not going to bed anytime soon. Um, you know, with, with that, you know, you're sitting there in the bathroom and you know, you have to just ride it out. And, and, and then you hope that he tuckers himself out or tires himself out and I guess falls asleep. Is that what you're hoping for? Uh, while you're in that position, because when he's on that type of drug, I mean, he, it's, I know it's really late at night, but he might not be going to sleep for another eight hours. Yeah. So I was really sure I was hoping he would either go back to his buddy's house, um, or eventually, yes, just pass out. Um, and to be quite honest, um, I don't really remember much after that. Um, go locking myself in the bathroom. Um, you know, I've tried to go back and remember, you know, what happened after that point, but it's almost just like, a. it's just like a gap. I, the next thing, you know, kind of in my timeline is, you know, moving out the rest is, you know, in between there, it's kind of a blur. Um, well, you know, even with your, your emails that we've been doing back and forth, when we were getting the outline together, I think there were mentioned in there that you have gaps that it's hard to remember certain things for you. Yes. And it's something I've really struggled with, um, you know, all throughout my relationship there still are, you know, just blank spaces in my head. And, you know, I attribute that to a trauma response, you know, blocking them out, which, you know, has made it a little bit harder to go back through and read to just see how miserable I was, how isolated I became from my friends, hiding it from everyone, essentially going through it all alone because I didn't want to be seen as a weak person who would allow someone to do this on the relationship, you know, for six years, you know, and still say that, you know, I love him. And I think the part that hurts and gets to me the most is that I couldn't fix him. I'm sorry. I couldn't help him. I tried so hard to do everything to get him to go to therapy. I talked to his parents. I, But I just, I couldn't make him change. And I, I wanted him to just be better for himself. Uh, that was the hardest part. Um, so, as a relationship, you know, I move out um, of our apartment. Um, and as, you know, I'm starting to move out, um, 
you know, I didn't ask for help. I, I didn't, I didn't want them to come in and see, you know, how bad it had really gotten. And I was scared, you know, my dad even offered to come up, you know, and I, I, I didn't want help from anyone. So I'm all moved out of my old apartment and I move into my new apartment, um, which was a terrible experience. I hated the apartment. It had like a centipede infestation. Ew, it was terrible. And I hate centipedes. Like they're my thing. Some people are spiders, centipedes. So it was a really hard six months. I was still closing down my company. Um, I was living in this infested apartment. Most nights I slept in my car um, or also made this like makeshift, like elevated bed um, on my kitchen counter, which was ridiculous. Um it was also during the middle of the pandemic still. So very isolated, lonely. Uh, it was a really hard time. Um, once I was done closing down my company, uh, my lease was up, you know, in my new apartment. I made the decision to move back to my hometown. At this point, I had also decided to go no contact with my NARC, which I'd like to say I successfully and consistently did that, but no, I didn't. There were times where I would go one week or two weeks and then I'd unblock him, you know, and of course he was there. Um, you know, I think I went a couple months and then I unblocked him, you know, and month later I'd get a call or something from him you know it was any time that he would reach out to me any time that you know he had gotten a new supply and then that supply found out who he was and then broke up with him or ditched him you know then he would come back to me just to make sure I was still there you know and it has probably been one of the hardest breakups because it, he felt like such an addiction. Um, and, you know, it, it finally got to a point where, you know, I went to a counselor and I started dealing with my trauma. You know, going to my therapist the first time, I didn't even know I had trauma from my childhood or even from this relationship, you know, when going through all that and researching, you know, what a narcissist does to your psyche has really helped me um, close that chapter and of my life with him and go no contact and you know I'm really hoping that I can keep moving forward and really I'm trying to focus on myself and healing and getting back in touch with who I am because I feel like I lost it for so long so 
you know, we're recording this in 2021 fall winter time, you know. I have no idea if it's winter yet. Is it winter yet? Uh, December 21st. Oh, so it's the fall. Yeah. Oh, we got a lot, we got a long ways to go. So <laughs> I didn't realize when I punched your name into my, I don't erase emails. You originally emailed me in February of 2021. And we had a bit of a back and forth and then you disappeared. And everyone, this happens a lot, you know, (laughs) these types of things. And then when you got a hold of me again, I recognized your, your last name because I'd never seen that name before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we went through the process again, kind of last week. Um, we, we had to cancel. So coming into today, I, I've been doing this for a long time and I don't want to insult anyone or anything like that, but I did not have high hopes that things would go well today. Um, to, to put it the least you showing up, I didn't know if it was going to happen. You know, I had a, a lot of things that were going through my mind and, you know, you were dealing with a lot of trauma. So, you know, can you kind of break down for others who've been in the same spot here, even with, with me of getting a hold of me and then, you know, kind of going, what was going on with you at that time, you know, as far as you feeling that you were ready and then deciding I'm, I'm not ready and then building yourself, I guess, back up to the point where you got a hold of me again. Because something's ha- happened in that time. And what was the process for you? So I think the first time I initially reached out to you back in February, um, you know, I had been wanting to do this for a while. Um, and I say a while, I would say, years. I mean, even when I was still in my relationship with my narc because of how much, you know, these other women's stories have truly helped me. I mean, it was nonstop. I would just listen to them and it's what kept giving me the courage to not reach out or give into, you know, contacting my narc you know, or going back into, you know, just like sweeping things under the rug and saying it's fine. So that was really my big motivation to reach out to you and that if I could just help one person and inspire them to either leave or, you know, just make any type of baby step towards, you know, the right direction, I would be happy. So once I reached out to you and we set up, you know, essentially a, um, you know, a time to record, I started kind of gathering all of my notes from my journals, my, you know, phone recordings, you know, emails. I had 
typed up and never really sent to my NARC. And it all just felt too overwhelming. It felt, I just couldn't get through it. Um, I still felt sorry for myself, you know, reading through all of these journal entries and just everything. So it wasn't until I got to a point where I could go back through and I could read a journal entry and look at it and be like, wow, I went through that and I am here. You know, I may not be in the exact place I want to be right now, but I got out of that, you know, I went through a shit ton and came out the other side. And I think at that point, that's when I felt like, you know, I can do this. Um, you know, I will admit I was an anxious and nervous mess through this whole thing. You can probably hear it in my voice. Um, and, you know, I was also worried about my storytelling uh, abilities because of my ADHD. Um, but hopefully you get a story out of it. But I, I think that was um, the major point that really... Um, you know, push me forward. Like, I'm going to do this. It's something I've wanted to do. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm an amazing editor, so no one will know. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry for how much time I'm going to take you. <laughs> so... When it comes to what you did today, you did a really amazing job. And I don't think you realize what an amazing job you did today. And I know all the factors that were coming in uh, as far as what we discussed before we even started recording. And to be here now at the end of uh, our talk, I mean... You really did a good job. You powered through it. We had some sound stuff go on there as well. And you really did a good job telling your story and, and helping a lot of people. So, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. And, you know, there, we have one last thing left to do, though. Yes. We need your words of wisdom. <laughs> words of wisdom. Um you know, I would say baby steps. Take one day at a time. Um, you can get overwhelmed with all of the books and blogs and, you know, resources out there. But just find something that works for you. Um, and, you know, for me, um, that was a book. And this interview, um, this podcast, I'm sorry, listening to this and just reminding yourself every day that you are strong, 
you can do this and you will get through it. I mean, remind yourself you are amazing. Well, Hera, you did it. You killed it. We're done. (laughs) You were great. Thank you. Um, Even if it doesn't air, will I be able to? Uh, No, no. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. (laughs) I don't see how this is going to. But I just want to know if it doesn't air, will I still be able to? Yes. Listen to it. Okay. Yes. Yes. If I even want to, I don't know. (laughs) I know. I have such confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hera. Well, I already feel bad for you that you have to edit all this. (laughs) Well, Hera, don't worry about a thing. Everything's going to work out. You did a great job. And now we're going to talk about uh, other things uh, that people might need to know about, such as our forums, our safe social network, which you can go to our website. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. If you need extra support, please do press that button. It takes you to our very own safe social network where you will be able to access our forums, our Zoom groups, which are every Wednesday night and Saturday night. This is at NarcissistApocalypse.com. This is where you access everything, where you press that support group button. So please do go there. We also have on there uh, bonus episodes. We have episodes that are ad-free episodes. So please do go there if you need support. Uh, Another thing, if you want to be a guest on our show, please, please, please do send in your stories. You can go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page is a button that says guest form there. Read all the instructions. We need as many stories as possible, especially coming into the Christmas season. People stop sending in stuff, so we always need stuff. And... You know, share your stories. It will help a lot of people if you do. You might not think it does, that your story might not be as big as some of the stories that you've heard, but every story is important. So please do send in your stories. And, uh, you know, another thing, uh, if you need support and you need more support than what we are offering here, please do go to domesticshelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, you're not alone because domesticshelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing and and they can connect you with local resources and they can help you find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource. There are great people there. And, you know, you know, I really want to send like a, just a really big, big, big thanks to Hera for, for doing this episode. She, uh, this wasn't an easy, uh, thing, you know, with the, with memory gaps and, and everything like that. So a big thank you, uh, to her and, you know, a big thank you to everyone in our, our support group for, for being you. Uh, I've been able to learn a lot from everyone in the group and we're going to be doing an episode soon with someone from our, our group. And it's been a really interesting learning experience for me. Uh, you know, it's been, uh, I think, an experience, a good experience for that person as well. And it might turn into something uh, even bigger in the sense of a maturity of the show, a growth of the show, and, and, and how we kind of do things. And I'm excited about that. It's now December 
and you know coming to this point of the year uh, with one month left we've had a, a year of, of growth uh, big growth and not just in the show but me and I think everyone who's, who's who's listened to the show a lot of change and we're getting to the point of you know trying to figure out what we want for next year and uh, how we're going to grow and how we're going to be better. And for everyone listening, I hope you start thinking of, of those things too. Obviously not everyone is going to be in that position. They're just trying to get through uh, their days still. But for the ones that can, that are in those uh, spots, you know, try and think of you know how you're going to grow, uh, how you're going to make the world a better place, and how you might help the people within this community. So I really just want to thank everyone for who listens and we're going to be doing more of these kind of little chit chats at the end of the show now, uh, and trying to kind of, kind of figure out, uh, a little bit of a different format and, and, and a vibe for the people that, you know, just want to sit here and hang out for a few more minutes with me at the end of the show. So, you know, if anyone even wants to send in uh, questions to me, maybe I'll answer those here at the end of the show as well. So, you know, uh, that's, that's it for this week. And, you know, a big thanks to, uh, my old pal Melissa, who's now back in town, just for you know, being uh, with me here for almost uh, three years and supporting me. Uh, Billy Jean uh, as well, Vienna as well. Uh, everyone in the support group, uh, once again, you guys uh, are, are tremendous, and uh, I wouldn't be here with uh, all of you. So, thank you so much uh, for for your. Uh, and now can't even get the words out of my mouth for all of your support. And I don't know. I just feel, I think I had a lot of coffee <laughs> and it's late at night. You have no idea how long this edit took me and I kind of going crazy right now. So just a, a big thank you to everyone. And now that's it. So from Hera and I, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>